as I read that, I, I, I thought I should find out a little bit more about the, the person who gave the quote. I mean, I need to kind of have a little context for it. And so I discovered it was, it was uh, by a man named uh, Antoine de Saint-Escoupery. My French said, Antoine de Saint-Escoupery. French author who's actually a pilot at one time, commercial pilot. And then he also flew for the French uh, Air Force in the early uh, uh, days of World War II. And then when France kind of uh, gave up, he did fly some... Uh, Reconnaissance for French uh, resistance. His plane uh, went down in a, in, a, in a reconnaissance trip there in 1944, and he passed away. But before that, he wrote some, some famous uh, books. One was uh, The Little Prince. And part of his story was that in 1935, he was on this uh, Paris to Saigon race, airplane race. Now, if you think of Paris to Saigon, you got to go from Paris across the, the Mediterranean, across the desert, Africa, Asia, then back to Southeast Asia. Long, long flight. And in the strip, he, he and his uh, co-pilot, who was actually his mechanic, they crashed in the Libyan desert. And so very limited supplies. And for three days, they were pretty much delirious hallucinations until they were rescued by some Bedouin uh, on their camels, saved him, saved his life. And it was thought that that was experience was the motivation before his book called the, the Little Prince. And in that story, he writes this quote that just struck my heart coming out of his time in the desert, being so uh, thirsting and struggling for life. The Little Prince says this, what makes the desert beautiful is that somewhere it hides a well. Think about that. You ever been driving across the desert and wondering, God, is there any water out there? Or maybe your own life, personally, you feel pretty dry. You ever been in a place you felt just dried spiritually? Do you know in those hidden, dry moments, there's a well that God wants to spring forth in your life? Those words really were driven home because about a month ago, I was uh, on a backpack trip with uh, several DS colleagues of mine, a couple other friends, and we were, we were on the Pacific Crest Trail in Oregon. Now, when you think of Oregon, how many of you have ever been to Oregon? What do you think of when you think of Oregon? What do you think of? Rain. Trees, Trees rain. Yeah, good. Because you're thinking about the Oregon coast, you're thinking about the west side of the Cascades. The Cascades kind of draw this line, and, and the moisture gets there on the west side, it stays there. A lot of the east side is, is dry, very sage, a lot of desert. In fact, on this section of the, of the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a you know, 2,000 plus mile journey from, from, Cal, from uh, Mexico to Canada, through California and Oregon and Washington State, on this section, you know, we, we can read the map, and the map says pretty straightforward. Uh, the guidebook says that there's a section 21 miles that has no water source. So you've got to either pack your water, or you can take a side trip down to this creek where there's a waterfall. Well, anytime you come a waterfall, we want to do that. You know, maps are great because they tell you and they show you where your path ought to go. But maps don't always tell you what you may find along the journey. 
So on our journey, we decided, okay, we're going to take the side trip down to Stewart Falls. The problem was that this was a section where the Oregon desert kind of creeps in. It was really hot. And this section had been uh, exposed to a fire several years ago, which meant that all the burned down trees were down. Uh, trails weren't maintained. It was a dry, barren, and scruffy, and just a lot of overgrown. And so you get on the trail, and there was no trail. Now, at this point, where water is running low, and we got 12 miles to the next water if we stay on the trail. But if we go down here in a couple miles, we can find water if we follow the trail. But the trail did not exist. Couldn't see where we're supposed to go because there's overgrown bushes. We're bushwhacking, and we're just going, and it's hot, and you're getting all this charcoal from the burned out stuff, and you're looking for, is there any water out there? The beautiful thing about a desert is somewhere it hides a well. Somewhere, there had to be a spring somewhere because there's waterfalls. So we just kind of set our mind. We know we need to get there. It's kind of left. So we'll just go this way pretty soon. I saw a little bit greener area over there. I go, oh, if it's green, it means it must have a little bit of water. And I'm getting a little drier. We're all getting drier. I see a little frog. And so we keep going, going, and pretty soon we see the spring, and we just sat there and drank and drank and drank. Oh, water's good when you're thirsty. Nothing revives you like the water. So when I thought about that, my mind was drawn to Isaiah 43. Do you know these, these verses? But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Trust me, we are hoping to pass through some waters. But when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, or the burned out areas, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Skip over to verse 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the armies and reinforcements together, that lay there never to rise again, extinguished. Here's what he says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up to you. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Father, we come this morning, and perhaps in this place, God, is someone who has been a little dry. Maybe they're weary, Lord. Maybe they just feel like they've given all they can possibly give. Lord, maybe they just feel like they're all alone. Maybe, Lord, they have been faithful, Lord, but they just feel so, so dry. Oh, Lord, I pray this morning that you would spring forth in their lives a new work, God. Lord, let us see the new thing that you want to do in our lives, God. And Lord, we may feel like we are, well, we've seen the better days of life. We're on the tail end, God, but you're never done with us. Lord, we're not going to 
We're not going to lay hostage to what was. We want to say, God, today, what do you want to do in us and through us in your glorious name? And all of God's people said, Amen. I'm a believer that God does what his word says. And when he says, do not dwell on the things of the past, I'm doing something new. Do you not perceive it? There's two ways we look at that. We always look at, well, I had good memories in the past. Oh, man, I did too. In fact, I love looking at old pictures. Good memories. In fact, I look, like looking at new pictures. We have a new granddaughter. Did I tell that? Did I say it? Did you know that? I love looking at pictures of her. Something new happened, a new life, a new journey. I love reminiscing, but I can't go back and, and live there. I can learn from that. I can rejoice in that. How many have something that you say, God, thank you for what you did in my past? Amen? Oh, praise the Lord for that. But the scripture says, don't dwell on that. Don't camp out there. Don't linger there. Don't stay locked up in what was, because if you do, you're going to miss out on what is. You're going to miss out on what I want to do. Do you not perceive it, was the word. Let me take you to a story that is so familiar that I, I'm certain your pastors preached on it. Normally we'd preach on it in May or early June, whenever Pentecost Sunday was. But if you go to Acts chapter 2, we see probably one of the greatest symbols of God's new work. The disciples, having just seen Jesus ascend into heaven, are gathered in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And they're because Jesus said, go and pray. And they're there. They've thought about what was. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And now they're wondering, what is going to happen next? Could you imagine if you're in the upper room with the disciples? Jesus said, wait. I'll get, back, I'll get to that passage in a minute. Go and pray. There's an expectation. There's, a, there's a something happening in their souls. I wonder what is going to happen. You ever think about that? I wonder what is going to happen. I wonder what is going to take place. What do you think Jesus might do? He had some stuff he promised. And you know the story. All of a sudden they're together. And at once a sound like blowing a violent wind. Now let me just stop right here. Because um, Debbie and I, we're now two years into our, our stay in Oklahoma. And one thing I can say about Oklahoma, violent wind is part of living in Oklahoma. Now every time I talk to somebody about, man, this weather, they always say, this isn't normal. I have no idea what normal weather is, but it involves wind and oftentimes violent wind. Amen? Yeah, you all know that. The wind comes rushing or whatever it does down the plane. But a sound of a violent wind, if you could think in there for a moment, the violent wind starts taking off there. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Okay, now maybe, maybe they'd seen wind before, but I promise you, they had never seen fire sitting on top of somebody's head. Oh my word, they said, what's going on? Jesus is true. Something new is springing forth. And then, 
Oh boy. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, now they're staying in Jerusalem. All these different people begin to hear them. Think for a moment. If you're an ordinary fisherman from Galilee and you start speaking to somebody from Greece in their language or some country in Africa in their language and you've never even started that before, you would say to yourself, oh my, something new has happened. Oh my goodness. Jesus broke through. Jesus said so. And I'm talking to you. I don't even know you. I had no idea that you were from Libya. And now I'm talking to you. I had no, and there's so all these things are going on. And people are going, what is happening? What's happening? Some said, oh, this is easy to explain. They're just drunk. It's hardly breakfast time, Peter says. Then he says this, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Verse 15, let me explain to you. These men are not drunk. You should suppose it's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the past. Coming to what is, because God never lets his word go unfulfilled. Amen. God's word never returns empty, but always accomplishes what he said it would do. Here's what Joel said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on the select few. Oh, it doesn't say that. What does it say? On all people, all flesh. Not just the religious, but all. Not just the pretty folks, but all. Right? On all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Boom. I don't make a distinction because they're all mine. And I want all my people to be filled by my spirit. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I read that passage and I realized I'm in that category now. I think I'm part of that old man. I still think I'm a young guy. But my birthdays tell me others. But guess what? God is saying, I don't care whether you're young or old. I don't care rich or poor, male or female. I'm doing something new. I'm pouring out my spirit. And if you want it, you got it. Because I am here to do something. I will show wonders in the heaven and signs of the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here comes this amazing thing to happen there. Forget the former things. Don't just dwell on, on the lakeside there, Peter. Don't just go back to John 21 and, and remember what I talked about. Don't just worry about me looking. Now something new is going to happen. And here we are. A powerful thing happens. You know the rest of that chapter. And all these thousands of people came to know Jesus on that day. Wow. You want to set up your revival service? Lord, if we prayed, God, if we seriously said, we're not going to cling to what was, but Lord, what new thing do you want to do? What could possibly happen at Jernigan Memorial Church? What could happen in Bethany, Oklahoma, Lord, if your people said, God, we want to see something new spring up, God. We want a well. We know there's a, there's a well of new life hidden in the desert of 2022. God bust forth. Amen? Amen. 
Well, to really understand what Peter is saying and what, what Jesus has done, you've got to go back one chapter to chapter 1. Chapter 1 of the book of Acts. And Jesus, Luke tells us a story. On one occasion, verse 4, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Here's the command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift, my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. So when they met together, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to know something. We look at the scripture, and the book of Acts is this historical picture. It tells how the church was birthed, how, how it was formed, how it was struggled. It gives us the idea that on this day of Pentecost, which was a, a Jewish feast that people came to Jerusalem to gather to celebrate because of their good Jewish obedience to the law. They said, we want to be part of that. And God said, great, that's the old thing. I'm here and I'm going to break forth something new. And so now we are living in the reality of what was, but we in this period where we're the church. And Jesus has not yet returned to reconcile and restore all things. We're still the church in this period of God. We're living. We're wanting to be what you've called us to be. How do we do this? And oftentimes we in the church, we've kind of gotten lulled into our normal routine of life. We do this. We come to church. We'll go home. We'll have lunch. We'll watch uh, football maybe if you like football. If you're not, you'll take your nap. By the way, Jesus took naps. Amen? Therefore, naps are okay. Be more like Jesus. And we'll go to routine, and we'll probably go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow. Okay? It's a, it's a rhythm of life we've known. But I ask you, do you want your life to have a little bit different meaning to it and purpose? Would you like Jesus to say, God, I want to break forth. I want to spring forth in your life, Isaiah 43, something new. But let me tell you what this, what this passage means for us today. 2022. Here's what it means. Number one is that the promises of Jesus are for us today. Okay? I'm a believer in that. Jesus told disciples, wait for the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit. You and I, we, when we come to faith in Jesus, we believe that we have, we, the Spirit comes in us. Some miraculous way, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we believe that. The gift dwells in us. Jesus walks with us. And we get all the Holy Spirit. Here, here's, sometimes we have to ask the question, if we get all the Holy Spirit, do we give all of us to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's where we come as in the Church of the Nazarene, we believe that's entire consecration. We offer God, all of me, all to Jesus. I surrender. And then we do that, set apart, entirely sanctified, made holy by God's purpose. Not because we're good, but because God said, I will do it. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. The one who calls you is faithful. And what? He will do it. That's a promise. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is a promise to you and I in 2022 that God keeps his word. Amen? Give me some promises of God that you, that you believe in. Anybody? Jesus said, I will what? Never leave you or forsake you. Where, where is God in the middle of tragedy? He, he's right with you walking with you. Where is God in the middle of cancer? He's with you. He's in the painful process. Where is God when we lose a loved one? He's grieving with you. He knows loss. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Spirit is given to us. Why? So that very Jesus can be with us. I, I do this in my, in my car when it's just me driving get in the car seat, and I'll say, Jesus, thanks that you're with me right now. We're going to talk because I drive. Sometimes I'll say, want to listen to music, Jesus, or you want to just talk? Why? He's with me. And if I don't acknowledge that, I'm liable to let my mind go elsewhere. And I don't want that. I want to keep focused on that. I want my mind to be drawn in. The promises are real for us today. Most of us have experienced the pain of broken promises. Maybe marriage that the spouse was not faithful, even though they may have said they would be. The pain of broken promise. The reality of Pentecost, the great promise of God is that God keeps his promise. You can count on him. For no matter, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to the glory of God. The amen is so be it. See, I believe if we say, God, under the desert of my life, there's a hidden well. You want to burst forth the promise that you will have springs of living water, right? Jesus said, I'm the living water. He who drinks of me will never go thirsty. John 4. I'm the well of life. And sometimes when we're thirsty spiritually, can I just be honest with this? It's because we have kind of ignored the well of Christ's overflowing love and mercy. We tend to kind of want to do things our way. Forgive me, Lord, when I want to do things my way. The promise of God, I will give you wisdom. I will walk with you. And with that promise is the fact that his presence is real for us. The few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think we need to step back and realize this. We tend to do things in our own strength. I'm, I'm a firm believer that, God, that we have a, God's given us talents and gifts, and we work for the best of our abilities. We work hard. But remember that uh, we're not in alone. Holy Spirit's with us. I also believe that God has given us the wisdom to say, God, what would you want to do? Lord, what would you want me to do? I mean, Jesus' prayer, his words to the disciples in John 14, says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you, the spirit of truth. 
The word cannot, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Amen. I love that. The spirit of truth. One of the things in our world today is that we live in a time where uh, sociologically we're in this, what they call this post-modern, post-Christian world. And by that they say that, you know, some of the things that we have always had as um, moral standards, things that we have never doubted, have been kind of cast aside. For instance, there's always been some kind of uh, truth that we say, you know, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, that whole has become somewhat blown apart in our culture because truth is no longer based upon what God says. It has a subjective reality where we want to do whatever I think is truth. Well, you have your truth and I have my truth. Well, Jesus said, Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Not to follow your truth, but into truth, because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So listen to me. In our culture, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to give us awareness to his truth so we can walk in the truth, so we can be a witness to the truth. Are you with me, everybody? How am I doing there? Okay. And so oftentimes, our dryness, our spiritual emptiness, is that we've ran out of our own abilities and we realize that when we do things in our own strength, we come up empty. Oh God, in the desert of my soul, there's a well that's been that's hidden. Oh Jesus, spring forth, oh well. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, make me whole. I'm just going back to my teenage years now. Singing songs. You believe that, church? His promise is still true for us. His presence is still real. Think about the names that we have for the Holy Spirit. The Helper. The Comforter has come. The Comforter has come. Right? Oh, I need the Comforter. The Counselor. You ever need wisdom? Jesus, what would you want me to do in this situation? Pause right there. You ever say something you regret? You ever post something you realize, ooh, shouldn't have posted that? This is a good time to always say, Jesus, is this something you would say? That's the counselor. Lord, guide me into all truth. The advocate. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is your advocate? When you stand in heaven, Jesus is right there saying, Father, he believes in me. He's your child. Come on in. First John chapter 2. Remember that verse? I write these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. So, in our world today, you want to pray for revival? Guess what? The Holy Spirit, the promises are still true for us today. His presence. Here's a good one for you here. His power is supplied for us today. Now, this is really important. Jesus said, you will receive what? Power, dunamis. We're dynamite. Now, you're not going to blow up things, but you are going to blow up your sinful life 
with the truth. Power in our culture is all about control. In our society, whoever has power is in control. So whether this party has control or this party has control, it's all about power, because power gets to shape direction. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He says you're going to receive power, but power not to control others. Power not to try to wield uh, control over people. But power to love like you've never loved before. Power to sing praise when life seems bleak. You ever been there? Power to love people no matter. Power to bring reconciliation and restoration to a broken world. Power to pray for healing and watch God heal. Amen? Power for you to make choices that bring life and not destruction. Power to extend hope to people who just don't have it. Power to love children and give them models of godly living. It's so exciting. Pastor Jonathan, man, the children, what a beautiful sight. You guys have a wonderful gift of children. Listen to me. Don't. Don't let go of that. Love them. Witness them. Be an example of the love of Christ. One of our district advisory board meetings, I don't know, you, you probably know uh, Kristen Donovan, Pastor Kristen Donovan. She runs Jubilee Partners. And Kristen, she's uh, just a little, well, she's, I don't know, she's tall-ish. She's just a, but she's a bundle of energy. She's a dynamo. I mean, she's amazing. She said, you know, I work a lot with the inner city kids and, and, and families and broken families, and I'm not afraid of anybody. I've never been afraid. But one man scares me. I mean, he's, you knew he was a big gang leader. I mean, he just, just tatted up all that stuff there. And she said, I was fearful. But I prayed for him. I prayed for him in his gang affiliation. I prayed that God would, and he kept bringing his kids to Jubilee Partners. Kept bringing them. And all of a sudden, one time, he came up to her in a soft voice and said, thank you for all that you're doing. How can I help you? Now, what's the power of a young woman and a big man? It's the power of God to change lives. That's the power God has given us through the Holy Spirit. And our weapons are not of this world. Our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are love. Our weapons are believing in a God who can take desert land and brush forth a well of living water and hope. So very truly, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. Every time I read that verse, I say, come on, Jesus. You're kidding me. I mean, you, you healed people. You walked on water. You did miracles. How in the world are we going to do greater things than you? He says, oh, watch. Watch what I do in my body, the church, if they will let my Holy Spirit take over if they will let me work through them. Hey, Jernigan Church, listen to me. The 
promises of God are just as real for you today as they were when Jesus said that in Acts chapter 1. The presence of the Holy Spirit is just as real today as it was back in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. The power of the Holy Spirit has not diminished. Okay, the power of the Holy is not some lithium battery that just kind of drains over time. The Holy Spirit is not almost run out of energy, negative. The power of the Holy Spirit is just as real and strong today as it was then. Jesus, we need your power today. And revival is not about God make me feel better. Uh-uh. Revival is God make me more like Jesus. I have one deep supreme desire that I may be like Jesus. That's what it's about. The power of the Holy Spirit is made real. It's interesting that after, after Acts chapter 2, you know what happens next? It's Acts chapter 3 and 4, right? Yeah. But in Acts chapter 3, we have Peter and John. And they're walking and they go to the temple. And there's a, uh, a lame man there. He says, hey, give me some money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee, right? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it says that he walked and jumped and praised God. Of course, the next thing is, the Pharisees are all torn to tizzy. What's going on here? And they bring him in there. It says this about what they said about Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they took note and astonished that these men had been with Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus takes ordinary people, it's you and me, and does extraordinary things because of his Holy Spirit. And he asks us this. He's given us his promises and he's given us his presence. He's given us his power. And now we have our purpose. Same one as he said to the disciples. For you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. Our purpose is to be living, breathing witnesses to a God who does miracles, to a God who breaks into the barren desert lives of people and breaks forth living water, who brings hope to hurting people, who changes lives wracked in sin and sets them free by the grace of God. And you will be my witnesses. We're all witnesses of something. We all bear testimony of something. You wear your shirt, it tells you who your team is. You're a witness of that, right? You drive your car. What's the car like? Put your arm around your spouse. You're telling the people, love my spouse. We all bear witness of something. But Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness to the fact that you are a changed life. That God doesn't make mistakes. That God takes ordinary people. That God takes barren lives and brings new life. That God can have a well of living water spring up from anywhere. And God says, you will be my witnesses. Our world is seeing all kinds of stuff. 
Peter said in that Acts chapter 4, as far for us, we cannot help speak about what we've seen and heard. We live in a world that can't stop hating each other. We live in a world that's so caught up in self-fulfillment. What's in it for me? Jesus says, would you bear witness to the fact that I've come to set you free from sin and death, to give you life, to give you hope, to give you a future? With great power, Acts 4, 33, the apostles continue to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I'm confident, church, that Jesus has given you all of his Holy Spirit. Have you given all of your life to him? Have you opened your heart to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I want that. Are you ready for a new work of God? Will you forget the former things and don't dwell on the past? God is about to spring forth. Do you perceive it? Are you ready? Bow your heads with me.